Good morning again, everybody. Let me just move this over. So today we've got um, a guest speaker with us. Pastor Nick is, he was gone in Tennessee this past week and he was preaching at a college talking about the value and the importance of the church. And we've already heard some feedback from some of the students that were really encouraged by it. So I'm really glad that you guys are all okay with him going and serving other people and being able to bring the gospel to different places. Um, and now this week he's gonna be in Florida working with Redeem India. And this is one of the ministries that we supported together with our year end gifts. So if you can continue to be praying for him, um, and Pastor Lloyd is preaching at Mount Zion this morning, so if you can pray for him as well, just in passing as he's preaching. So a while back, Nick and Lloyd asked both of our past, past pastoral interns to come. So we today get to see Adam and Chris again. Um, for those of you that, yeah, really exciting. Um, Adam's gonna be preaching this first service, Chris is gonna preach the second service, so for those of you that aren't gonna stay for both, you can watch it online later this afternoon or sometime this week. Um, but Adam came to Madison after graduating from UC Davis, so out in California, he actually heard about High Point and about Nick from Nick's brother, Stan, who was working in the same college ministry as Adam. So Adam came out here, braved the Midwest cold, and has actually now stayed in the Midwest for a couple years. Um, he served as our pastoral intern during from 2011 to 2012, and then he went to Trinity Seminary, which is where he's at right now. He's in his second year getting his Master's of Divinity there. He also serves, yeah, Master of Divinity. <laughs> he also serves um, as a middle school intern at the church that, he's work at, that he attends, and he has a bunch of other roles too. And so he's um, back to visit. Hopefully he'll be gracious and humble with us and not speak too much about his beloved 49ers when he's up here. Um, but it's always great to have Adam back, so he's going to come on up and preach now. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. The first time I ever preached here, it was like my fourth time preaching ever anywhere, and Nick came up to introduce me. He gets up and he uh, and he starts talking, he, sa he says, uh, having Adam preach today is sort of like going to a teaching hospital in August. And the implication was, you might die, but he really needs the practice. So that was, he said, come on up, Adam. So I, I like when Nick, when Lisa introduces me. <laughs> well, it's really, really good to be here. Uh, it's always an honor and a privilege to preach the Word of God, but it's especially sweet to do it here because of the love I have for this church and the gratitude and the love that I have for the people of this church. This church really did transform my life. It changed my life. Um, and it played an enormous, has played an enormous role in my development, both as a Christian and as a future pastor. Uh, and uh, I just, this church has such a vision for raising up the next generation of church leaders, and, uh, and I've been enormously blessed by that, and uh, the longer that I'm in seminary, the more I realize just what an incredible and unique blessing it was to get to intern here. And uh, Nick is good at reminding me that I still have plenty to learn, but <laughs> hey, he's good at he's good at that. Uh, but it, but it would be crazy for me to not get up here and just take a minute to say thank you for all that you did investing in me and people like me. Uh, giving us room to try stuff and fail a lot and succeed some and to build into us and teach and encourage us and to take very, very raw individuals and sharpen us for the advancement of the gospel and the building up of the church this is really, really good work that you're doing and, uh, and, it's, and it's working. It's doing things and I'm a testimony to that. So thank you. Um, 
Well, on that note, let's, uh, let's get to work. If you would open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. Luke 14 is on page 1622. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 12. But first, let me give you a little context. So Jesus has been preaching... Uh, and doing ministry, and he is now in, he's been invited to the home of a Pharisee, by a Pharisee, uh, who's one of the religious leaders at the time. He's been invited to come and have a meal, to have dinner. And so Jesus is at this dinner. He's just said some pretty tough things about humility and pride, and uh, he's sort of ripped into these, into these guys, uh, and he's not done. And so, uh, and so he gets into this dialogue with his host, the guy who's actually invited him now, and this is where we're going to pick up in verse 12. This is this. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your, or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who, uh, who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was pre- preparing a great banquet and invited many guests And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to those who had been invited. Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I am on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, said the servant, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. And the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. All right, well, let's play a game. I am going to mention my 49ers because it's kind of an exciting time. My whole childhood, they were terrible, and now they're great. So this is fantastic. So they are playing, the mighty, mighty 49ers are playing a very important and highly anticipated for some of us uh, game against Seattle tonight. Uh, I want you to imagine that you've gotten over a couple weeks ago, and, and you decided you were going to throw a viewing party for tonight's game, okay? We're going to play a little, kind of like a word association game, okay? So you're throwing a view- viewing party for tonight's game. Quick, who are the first five to ten people you're going to invite? See, I don't know about you, the first five, ten people that come to my mind are, are not the poor, the sick, the crippled, the needy, the blind, the lame, right? It's family, it's friends, it's uh, people who are easy to have conversations with, people who I already know, it's uh, people who are going to invite me to their Super Bowl party, it's people who are going to bring seven-layer dip and bacon-wrapped steak bites, right? Those are the people that I'm inviting to my party. It's the people that come to our mind first, probably, if you're anything like me, uh, or most of the people I know, are people that can repay you, people that have something to offer you. Uh, and there's, and 
There's nothing inherently wrong with that, okay? The focus of Jesus' command here, as we're going to see, is not that family reunions have no place in a Christian's life. Okay, that's not, that's not Jesus' point. I was over at the Flatmeyers last night for dinner. Um, is that against Jesus' command? No, of course it's not. Of course it's not. Uh, but the truth is, and the reality is, is that the human heart has a very powerful tendency to live by the law of earthly repayment, to live by the law of, of retribution and repayment. And we tend to use hospitality as a tool to get stuff. We use hospitality as a means to something else, as a means to get something else, as a means to build wealth, as a means to build power. Um, and this isn't a new concept, right? We, we do this. This is sort of a cultural thing. Uh, but it's not a new concept. It's not a new cultural thing. Uh, if you read history, it's pretty much throughout history, and certainly in the ancient Near East, uh, where this is being written, where Luke is writing, uh, this is a really, uh, a really similar concept. Uh, it's a, it, hospitality is used as a tool to get something. If you threw a party, you invited important people. You invited rich people. You invited people like you. Uh, peop and people who could repay you. Uh, and if you weren't rich, and if you were rich, you didn't invite poor people, right? Because they can't give you anything, uh, right? In, in very coarse terms, it's a net loss, right? It gets you nothing, and so you don't, you just didn't do that. And in fact, in the whole, um, the whole ancient Near Eastern culture actually ran on this system and these expectations of hospitality. And I think our culture does too. And Jesus comes in, he comes into this dinner, and he flips it on its head. He says, he says, okay, let's talk about hospitality and generosity. Um, you go out, here's, here's hospitality and generosity. You go out, you find people who can't repay you anything. The, you, you go out and you find the people who have absolutely nothing to offer you, who are practically a net relational, personal, financial loss. You go out, you go find those people and invite them. Um, right? And this is, this is, absolutely countercultural. This is going to blow these people away. It's going gonna, it's gonna to undermine the very, under, the very pinnings of society in the ancient Near East. Uh, and I think it does today, too. See, what Jesus is arguing was, I'm going to argue here uh, in the next few minutes, is this. Because God has invited you to his table, to eat at his table, invite those to, that can't repay you to eat at your table. Right? Because God has invited you to eat at his table, Invite those who can't repay you to eat at yours. And that's a tough command. It should, it should raise some questions for us. Uh, and this morning I'm going to answer three questions that I think the text, the text raises here. Um, the first is, why would you do this? Second is, how can you do this? And the third is, what are you really doing when you do this? Um, so first, why in the world would you invite those who can't repay you anything to eat at your table? And let's deal with reality for a minute, right? Uh, in a world with limited resources, the idea that you should invite people uh, and give hospitality to people who can't repay you anything, uh, it's not just weird, it's not just abnormal, it's stupid. Okay, it's, it's, not, and it's, it's not intelligent, right? It might be nice, it might be generous, uh, it might be altruistic, but it is stupid, okay? And let me... Before you freak out, let me, let me explain that, right? If you literally get nothing out of it, you get no relational gain, no networking, no repayment, no public approval, 
It's not the logically intelligent thing to do, right? For those practically, you know, practically brained people in the room, um, you, you might get this. Um, but uh, we, look, we can, have a, we can have a conversation about whether or not being generous for gener- generosity's sake is a good thing morally, Okay, that might be an interesting conversation to have, probably a more complex conversation than most of us realize off the bat, right? But it is not the logically smart decision to make. So why, why would you then do this, right? Why would you do this? Uh, well, let's look, at, let's look at verse 13. It says this, well, when you give up, Jesus says, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. See, when Jesus says you'll be repaid at the resurrection, there's three implicit assumptions that, are, that he's making. Uh, the first is that there is a resurrection. The second is that, uh, that those people listening to him are going to be alive at the resurrection. And the third, uh, and the third is that God has the resources to pay them back. And this makes sense. Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees. The Pharisees believe in the resurrection. They saw themselves as spiritually elite people. Uh, they, were the, they were the spiritual leaders of the time. And so uh, they fully expected to be there at the resurrection. And so Jesus turns to them and he says, okay, great. So you, there's a resurrection. You're going to be there. Fantastic. Uh, you're invited to a great party at the end of time that God is going to throw. You're going to receive back more than you could ever imagine. Act like it. Right? You're going to be repaid at the resurrection. So why not give up uh, and, and, and show hospitality to those who can't repay you now? See, Jesus roots this command in divine abundance, the idea of divine abundance, the idea that God has more money and uh, more food and more resources than you or I could ever consume in all of eternity. Uh, and see, in a, in a world of limited resources, the world that most of us sort of take for granted and, and understand and experience— uh, it is stupid to give hospitality to those who can't repay you. It's just, it's a net loss. There's not a sufficient motivation to do it. But in a world in which there is a resurrection, where God has unlimited resources, uh, it would be crazy not to. And in this way, uh, who you invite to your party actually reveals what you believe about the future. It reveals whether or not you believe there is a resurrection and whether or not you believe that God has uh, all the unlimited resources. Uh, now, let me, let me pause for a minute before I go any further, because we're in Madison. And, uh, and <laughs> let me say this. If you're thinking, oh, perfect, this guy's going to back my political economic position with some spiritual stuff, this is great. I'm not doing that, okay? So just stop right there. It's not what I'm doing, okay? Jesus is not a Democrat. He's not a Republican. He's not a conservative. He's not a liberal. Uh, His economic policy transcends all human economic policies over all of the history of the world and certainly the history of America, okay? It's fundamentally different because it it rests on on a fundamental truth that no human economic system takes into account, namely divine abundance, that God has resources and unlimited resources, right? And I don't want you to miss the point of this passage, because if you put Jesus in this box, if, if you put him in your political party box, you will miss the point of this passage. You're going to hear what you want to hear. You're not going to hear what you don't want to hear. And, it's, and you're going to get a Jesus that isn't big enough or subtle enough 
uh, to say what he's really saying, okay? And I don't want that to happen. Um, politics are important. Our spiritual life should inform our politics. It's not what Jesus is doing here, okay? Fair? We can move on. I know this is Madison and... Um, Okay, so Jesus commands his dinner guests uh, to give hospitality to those who can't repay him. And then uh, this guy at the table, uh, at the table excitedly exclaims, uh, blessed are those who eat bread in the kingdom of God. Right? He gets it. He gets that, he, that Jesus is talking about this resurrection at the end of, end of time. Sort of. Right? He gets that those people are blessed— who eat, at the, eat in the kingdom of God. But he has the wrong idea about who's invited. And so Jesus launches into this parable to correct him. Uh, and in the parable, Jesus reveals that this banquet is, and this party is open to far more than these people, or, or probably us, originally imagined. Okay? So here's, here's how the parable goes. This man prepares a great banquet, and this man in the parable is God. Okay, God, is, God is the man, he's preparing this, this great banquet, this wedding feast at the end of time. Uh, and he invited many guests. And th- the guests that he invites are the Jews, particularly the Jewish leaders. Um, they're the religious elite, the leadership. So the people Jesus is talking to. Now remember, uh, he's talking to them. He's in their house as a guest. Uh, he's not going to be real gentle. Uh, and then it gets interesting. So he sends, this man sends this, his servant out. Okay, the servant is Jesus. So God sends Jesus uh, to the spiritually elite in, in Israel. One by one, they begin making excuses. They start coming up with excuses. And these aren't good excuses. The word excuse is that, what it really means is refusal. Uh, it's, got, it's stronger than just excuses. It's, it's a refusal. Uh, It'd be kind of like, the excuses they make are sort of like if you invite a friend over in May to come over for dinner and they're like, you know, I'd love to, but I just, I got to take my Christmas decorations down today, right? And you go, sorry, Christmas was like five months ago. Surely there's no rush on it now, right? It's not an, it's not an excuse. It's not, it's not a legitimate excuse. It's an excuse. It's a refusal cloaked in an excuse. That's all it is. And that, that's exactly what's going on here. Uh, the first man says he's got to go see a field that he bought. The second man goes, well, I, I, and I got to go see some oxen that I bought. And then the third man is my favorite, right? The third man just goes, oh, yeah, I got married. So I, I'm done socially forever. I'm just, I got married. You know, what, can't do anything now. <laughs> uh, he doesn't even, I mean, he doesn't even try to explain. He just, he just, that's it. Yeah, I got married. Okay. Uh, and, and so the servant comes home and he tells the master, he says, look, all of the guests you invited, uh, right, uh, cooking would have taken a long time, so you tell the guests, hey, I'm going to have a banquet, and then they say, okay, great, we're going to come, and then he says, okay, great, and then they go back and cook the food, and then they go back to you and they say, okay, now you can come, uh, now come, the, the food's ready, come on to the banquet. Uh, so he's done this, he comes back, he tells the master, hey, they all initially said yes, but now they've all refused, they don't want to come. Uh, they made all these excuses. And the master gets angry. He says, okay, go out quickly to the streets, to the alleys of the town, to the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, and bring them in. Right? And in they, this parable, those people are the, the sort of the commoners, the common Jewish people. Uh, and so the servant goes out, Jesus, right, goes out. He tells people this. He comes back and he says, we still got room. There's still a lot, there's still a lot of seats left. 
Uh, I went and told him, but there's still a lot of seeds left. And he says, okay, fine. Go out to the roads, to the country lanes, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Uh, and, and these people in the story are the Gentiles, right? Luke is, Luke's sort of making an argument here. Jesus is making an argument here. That now the Gentiles, the non-Jews, are, are welcome at the banquet, the big party of God at the end of time. And so as Jesus tells this parable, what he's saying is that God's hospitality now has been, as he's come, has been opened up um, not just to all the Jews, but to everybody, to the Gentiles, to, to everybody, that everyone is welcome at God's table. They're all invited, and God um, sends his servant out to the outskirts of town to even the most unworthy people, right? On the outskirts of town, uh, the farther out you get, the, the less powerful people live, the less influential people, the poorer the people get, the less important people, right? They all live out on the outskirts. Uh, and Jesus says, no, I want them at my table. Uh, it, means this, it means the invitation is open. Not because, uh, and it means the invitation is open to us, right? Not because we've earned it, not because you've earned it, but simply because God wants you at his party. You have nothing to bring to the party. You could never possibly repay him, right? Um, in fact, Romans 11, 34 to 35 says, asks the rhetorical question, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Right? The answer is no one. You are simply a guest, invited to be a guest at his abundant banquet. Um, now, one of the other things we learn in this passage is that just because you're invited to the party does not mean you're actually going to be at the table. Um, you have a choice to make, right? The, these guys, uh, the original guys that get invited, they're invited. They're the first ones invited, in fact. And they're not going to make it to the banquet. They're not going to make it to the party. They're not going to eat at, um, at the, final, uh, the final meal in God's kingdom. They're not going to be there. Right? You have been invited, and God wants you there. But if you refuse, and you make excuses, you put other things above that, uh, the party's going on. The party's going to happen. Uh, and it's your decision whether or not you want to be there. And so, um, and so why should you give hospitality, invite people who can't repay you? Well, uh, because you have been invited. Because you are going to be repaid. You're going to eat at this final banquet at the end of time, and you'll be repaid at the as the resurrection of the righteous. So now that we have sufficient motivation uh, to go and invite those who can't repay you. Uh, now the question is, how do you actually do that? And in many ways, this is, this is the most straightforward answer uh, to any of these three questions, right? It's Jesus is pretty clear. Well, you put them on your guest list. You invite them and hope they come. Uh, but although it's tra fairly straightforward, it's not actually particularly easy to live out. Um, in fact, actually just this week, I was preparing, preparing to preach and writing and, and all this, and uh, I, was, I was actually about to go start writing. I was talking to a friend of mine, and we were talking about this, this friend, new guy at, at Trinity, and, uh, he, you know, he doesn't have any friends yet, and he, we were talking, and he was like, hey, we should hang out. And I was like, yeah, great. Uh, I don't ever have an intention of actually hanging out with you, but yeah, that sounds great. You know, <laughs> and I was talking to this friend of mine, I was like, you know, like, I, time is a commodity in grad school. For those of you who've been to grad school, right, you read a lot and stuff, and 
you know, you're reading like 5,000 pages, you don't have a lot of time to hang out with friends. And so when you do, you want to make the most of it and invest in friendships that you have and build those, right? And so <laughs> I'm talking to this friend about that. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, it just, it hits me. I'm like, this is, this is the guy I'm preaching about in my sermon. And I, uh, I'm literally just about to go sit down and write about this. It's been, it's been in my head for weeks. And I can't, <laughs> and I'm, uh, and I, I won't, I won't go to lunch with this guy. You know, like this is, the point is, this is hard to do. And our hearts are ridiculously deceptive about this. You can, can, if you want to, you can convince yourself that you are plenty hospitable, that you don't need to do this, and that no one is, that that particular person isn't, isn't worth your time, isn't, uh, this doesn't really apply to that person. Okay, you can convince yourself of that, but I'm telling you, your heart will deceive you. And so the question we got to ask is, how do we do this? What can we gather from this text and from wisdom uh, from Christians throughout the centuries who have been trying to work this out in their lives? Uh, and there's three, three main things, I think, that, that come out of this text. Uh, the first is you've got to create opportunity. Jesus says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, right? You've got to create space in your life for hospitality. And for most of us, this is not natural, right? Most of us are busybodies. We like to be busy, and we just pack our lives full of as much as we can, which is great, right? Where it's all good stuff, you're doing stuff. But the problem is hospitality is, uh, takes time, it takes energy, and it's generally unpredictable, Right? You don't expect to meet someone new. You don't expect to run into a needy person. And if you're so busy that you can't, uh, you can't get to the next thing, you, can't, uh, you don't have time to stop and sit and talk with them, you don't have time to have them over for lunch uh, or dinner, then, then you won't be able to be hospitable. We have to expect that these things are going to happen and begin to build areas in our lives, build space, build margin into our lives that we could actually practice hospitality. So that when it comes along, when God brings someone uh, that he wants, that he's calling you to be hospitable to, you can actually do it. Uh, and then the second thing is, you've got to identify the poor and the blind and the crippled and the lame. Um, right? You have to identify the people that need hospitality. Okay, and uh, this is going to require some thoughtfulness and prayer. Um, praying for God to identify those people to you, to show you who they are. Uh, but think about, those, think about, spend some time thinking and praying about who those people might be. They're the people that you already know right now. Think about who those people might be. because, And you might have to do a little searching, right? We tend to hang out with people like us. Uh, and, and so you might have to go out of your, you're probably going to have to go out of your uh, normal social circles, your normal interactions with people to find these people. Uh, and then third, you've got to actually act, right? Opportunity and identification mean nothing, right? It's great that you've identified who the people are that need hospitality. It's great that you have margin in your life to offer hospitality, but if you don't actually go out and invite them to something, it's kind of worthless, right? Um, you just fill out time watching TV or something. Okay, so finally we're ready to ask the last question. The last question is this. What are you really doing when you invite those who can't repay you? See, in this, there's this weird shift that happens in this story. I don't know if you mentioned it. In fact, you noticed it. In fact, even in the Bible, right, there's, there's a shift. There's a little heading, a new heading, right? 
because there, there is a shift in the thinking that goes on. There's a shift in the conversation. Jesus tells his host, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. He's talking about the literal poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Uh, and then he rolls into this parable about the final feast of God in heaven and how the poor and the crippled and the blind and lame are going to be there. And you, right, you gotta, you got to think, the question you got to ask is, what's going on? What happened? Where is the connection between uh, who I have over for lunch after church and, who, and, and the final banquet, the final party of God? Right? Those, those seem like two very different things. Why does God even care about my lunch plans? Uh, and the, I think the key to this is in the parable. I think Jesus gives us, gives us the answer. And the, um, one of the questions you always have to ask when you're reading a parable uh, in the Bible, there's lots of parables in the Bible. When you read the parable, you've got to ask, who is who? Right? Who represents who? These parables are teaching stories. They're supposed to tell us something about reality. And usually people represent a person or a type of person. And I already told you that the master represents God. And that, and that the, uh, the servant represents Jesus, right? It's actually not quite that easy in this parable. The master, the master very well could be God, uh, but it, it, the master also could be Jesus. Okay, it's ambiguous. Commentators argue over this about who is who. And, uh, and see, if the master represents God, then Jesus is the servant, and, Jesus, and those who Jesus invites to the, the eschatological, the end of times banquet, the end of times party, is all those who he invites. So that would be, and who come? That is Christians. Okay, that would be, if you're a Christian, that's you and me. Okay? But if Jesus is the master in the story, that means Jesus' disciples, you and me, are the servant and all of those that we invite are the poor, the sick, the blind, and the lame. Uh, and, the, and commentators go back and forth on this. And, uh, and so, which is it, right? I think it's both. Okay, and that's not just a cop out. I, I actually think it's both. Okay, I think, I think Luke is being purposefully ambiguous here. Uh, and here's why. Because uh, Jesus is God's servant throughout the Gospel of Luke. That's a, that's a really clear theme. Jesus is God's servant uh, who invites, invites people to have a place at the table of God at the end of time. But also in the book of Luke, there's this whole theme that stretches throughout of it. It's, it's intertwined with it. It's all over the place, uh, both in Luke and in the book of Acts, which is Luke's part two. Uh, and it involves the followers of Jesus taking over the ministry of Jesus. So, Jesus does his ministry while he's here on earth, right? He welcomes both the physically and spiritually the poor and, uh, and, and welcomes at, at his table and into the kingdom of God. Well then, he, in a couple places, in Luke 9 and, and in Luke 10, he sends out his disciples to do the same thing. Then Jesus dies, he rises again, and he goes back up into heaven. And then the Holy Spirit comes down on the people, on his disciples, and the whole point of the Holy Spirit coming down on Jesus' disciples is that they would be able to then continue the ministry of God, or, and of Jesus. And so, uh, and, and the same Holy Spirit they have, we have, those of you who have accepted Jesus and rely on him and trust in him for your salvation. 
And so, therefore, Jesus is the master, he, right? He's both. He's both the servant and the master. This, the whole parable, is, it's here, and it's just being shifted over one. So, so Jesus moves from the servant to the master. We move from the invited to the servant, to the, the inviter. Um, and every, everyone just moves up one. And so, uh, if Jesus is the master and you're his servant, we are tasked with the opportunity— uh, to offer divine hospitality to people, to offer people a place at the table of God. And so how is it that we do this? Well, first we share, we share this news, that they are invited. That, that even the people who might think they, had, they could never be invited, the, the people on the total outskirts, uh, they're invited. God wants, God has space at his table, and he wants them there. Right? And we are tasked to compel them to come in, the text says, or make them to come in. Now, let me be clear, compel does not mean um, persecute, right? It, it does not mean knock them out, throw them in the trunk, and drag them to the eschatological banquet. That's not what we're supposed to do. Uh, Christians have used this text before to do that, okay? Terribly and tragically. Uh, but it's, it's simply not what the word means, right? It doesn't fit in the context of hospitality, and the, it's not what the word actually means. The word means persuade, convince, urge, beg. Right? The people in the parable cannot believe that this rich guy would invite them to his table because that would never happen. It would never happen. Uh, in their cultural framework, rich people did not invite poor people. And further, poor people didn't want to go to a rich person's house. You can't, if you're poor, you get invited to a rich person's house. You're expected, right, there's this hospitality agreement and expectations. You're expected to repay them. If you're poor, you can't repay them. You're, you're going to end up disgraced uh, and probably more poor because you're going to try to repay them. They don't want to go to a rich person's house for dinner. And so as the servant goes out, the, the master says, beg them to come in, urge them. You might have to convince them, but do it. There are seats at my table, and I want them to fill them. I know they can't repay me. I don't need them to. I don't want them to. And as we interact with people and we share the good news, we might have to be persuasive. Right? The, the idea, this idea that it would be totally free is, is ridiculous. Nothing is free, right? No such thing as a free lunch. I learned that in high school economics. Um, but it's our duty as servants to beg, to urge, to appeal, to compel people to come in and, and to convince them that they do have a place at, at the table of God and the party of God. Um, and if, you're, uh, if you haven't accepted your seat at that table yet, I encourage you to do that. Look, you are, you are welcome. There's a place for you. God wants you there. Uh, it doesn't matter if your clothes are dirty, literally or figuratively. Doesn't matter if you have nothing to give. None of us do. Who can repay God, right? Uh, you are invited to dinner, and so if if you're interested in that, come talk to me. Come talk to come talk to somebody else at this church about what that what that looks like, right? Uh, and then the second way that we offer hospitality, divine hospitality, is by uh, doing practical practical hospitality. So. It's by actually inviting people over that can't repay us. Right? Practical hospitality, inviting those who can't repay us to your table, is an enactment of divine hospitality. Practical hospitality is an enactment of an otherwise unseen reality that doesn't exist anywhere else, right? You are acting like your master Jesus when you invite the poor, the sick, the blind, the lame, 
to your table. And by inviting the poor, the sick, the blind, and lame to your party, you make the idea of God inviting them to, their, to his party much more believable. Right? You are bringing a heavenly reality to earth. That's what you're really doing when you offer hospitality. Right, so let's play a game. Imagine you're throwing a party. Quick, who are the first five to ten people that you can think of that might qualify as the poor, the sick, the blind, and the lame? Who do you know? Who are, you, who are the people you know at work or at your kid's school or uh, that you walk by or pass by on your way to lunch? Who are the people uh, who need practical hospitality? Uh, who are the people who need divine hospitality? Right, let's go out fiercely and, and relay the message as servants of God uh, that, that his table is open and the invitation stands. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've invited us uh, to eat at your table, to eat bread in the kingdom of God. That is a, an honor and a privilege, and uh, we don't deserve it in any respect, and we have nothing to bring to it, but... Father, we thank you that you've done that. We pray that you would, you would burn in our hearts a desire to, to invite others, the poor, the sick, the blind, the lame. God, I pray that you would identify those people to us, that you would help us build margin for those people, give us a desire and a care and a love for those people. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for what this church does, particularly investing in young leaders in the church, and uh, I pray that you would continue to bless that, that you would bring new interns, that you would bring uh, new college students that, that this church can invest in and grow and build into for the glory of your name and your, the building up of your kingdom and your church. Father, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.